Dual Citizen, The Connection, Chapter 14. Tracy went to spend the summer with Vera in D.C. as usual. Before he left West Virginia, there were rumors of a new division starting for the 1984 Summer Olympics, Chinese Wushu. Tracy's teacher said it was the chance of a lifetime and suggested he train at a week-long workshop in D.C. The cost was $150 up front, and Tracy asked Vera for the money. She said no, because Bobby had told her not to pay for it. Bobby also wouldn't let Tracy use any of his cars to get to the practices. Why are you wasting your time with this stuff? Bobby said, and his tone was caustic. You know this. You know you ain't going to amount to nothing. You might as well get used to it now. Forget that college talk and go out and get yourself a good-for-nothing job. Tracy stared back because he knew the truth. Bobby didn't want Tracy to get any better at Kung Fu for his own safety. Granny was incensed and sent Tracy the money, but not until she laid Vera out. I truly do not understand why you put up with that man. Granny began. I just don't have the money right now, Vera said. Bullshit, Granny snorted. You got that good-paying job at the hospital now, and you seem to be able to pay for that big-ass yacht of yours. You just don't want to go against that asshole husband of yours. Vera had a whole arsenal about how badly Granny treated Moody, but knew that wouldn't go anywhere. Granny had a reason for everything, no matter how thin. I spent all those years driving Tracy around to his practices, Granny vented, and you're telling me you can't even manage it for a week? It kept him off the streets, and it will there, too. It'll give him something to do in his old age. There was no answer, so Granny poured it on. I drove him Monday, Wednesday, and Friday all those years, cross town and back again. And now Tracy can drive. He's got a chance of a lifetime. And Bobby can't see to lend him a car. He's using his car, Vera stated. So, and Granny had her now, he drives all three at the same damn time. Bobby had three cars by this time, and his cab. His excuse was Tracy didn't have a D.C. driver's license. As an added insult, David, Bobby's actual son, drove Bobby's cars even though he had a Maryland license. So it was just like the Christmas when David kept his bike and Tracy and Freddie had to load their bikes into Moody's truck and watch them go back to West Virginia. When Chris... Tracy's friend from grade school heard the hard time Bobby gave Tracy. Chris's mom said Tracy could stay with them. She also offered to give Tracy the money to piss Bobby off, but Granny had already sent Tracy the $150, plus money for food, subway, and bus fare. Then Chris helped Tracy map out a route to the classes, which was a morning and evening combination of buses and subways. What could have been a 45-minute drive became a two-hour commute if all the buses and trains were on time. Tracy didn't want to be late, so he left at six in the morning. 
he didn't get home until nine or ten at night, which caused the cramps. Training with Sifu Mfundi Dennis was awesome but grueling. Tracy learned new wushu forms and techniques rapidly and lost several pounds in a few days. He trained from eight in the morning until seven at night every day, while Tracy's classmates trained every other day. By midweek, Tracy's cramps were so bad, he drafted Freddy to dig into the muscles he couldn't reach to pull them apart. By the end of the week, Tracy was chosen to compete. He was the only competitor from West Virginia, and the only other student chosen from his D.C. class. In the end, Wu Shu wasn't added to the Olympics, but talk of adding martial arts to the games led to the formation of NACMATH, the North American Chinese Martial Arts Federation. The organization built a network of teachers, many who were key figures in the martial arts. They appeared in martial arts movies and became coaches in later mainstream films. As Granny designed, Tracy's martial arts family became lifelong friends, but there was another reason everything happened the way it did. While riding the subway, tired and weak, Tracy heard him again. It is going to be okay, he said and his voice wasn't behind Tracy like when he was a child. It came to him as a still, small voice, as Tracy retraced the bus and subway routes yearning to sleep. There will be a lot of opportunities coming your way, the tall, shiny silver figure said. Take advantage of all of them. You will mess it up, and you will learn from it, but it will come around again. And Tracy didn't know it at the time, but he was talking about the blessing. Once the summer was over and Tracy got back to West Virginia, Granny decided Tracy needed a car. It was his senior year of high school, and college was around the corner. Granny was also still pissed at Bobby from the summer. We're not going to have the asshole do that again, Granny decided. No more car issues. Find yourself something under ten grand. Tracy did Granny one better, he thought, and found a car for three thousand. It was a 1960s Camaro, like Vera had when he was little, except it was fawn-colored with dual black stripes. Late in the afternoon, Tracy drove proudly into Granny's driveway, and she came out on her porch. Ah, oh, hell no, Granny said. You can take that blonde piece of shit back where it came from and went back into the house. It turned out the fawn-colored Camaro was the skinny white principal's car, which he drove during Vera and Ginny's high school career. He gave it to his daughter, who tried to sell it to Tracy. Fresh from the confrontation over Tracy's grade the previous spring, the cursed car wasn't an option. Worse, the sight of it got Granny going and she decided to step it up a bit. In Tracy's mind, he thought if he got a car for 3000 Granny would have money to buy Freddy and Ginny's oldest daughter, Demi, a car. That way, each of them could get back and forth to work, school, or whatever else the three musketeers might dream up, but that's not what happened. 
That fall, Isuzu came out with a brand new impulse, and Granny decided that's what Tracy had to drive to high school. Her pride wanted Tracy to show off for the principal and the racist kids that plagued her family all those years. There was only one black Isuzu impulse with red stripes in the entire state of West Virginia, and Granny and Tracy drove to Beckley to get it. The next morning, the car had the desired effect. Tracy's classmates thought it looked like a Porsche. The impulse also mimicked the car featured in Risky Business. Most importantly to Granny, it was a much nicer car than the principal drove. How'd you get a new car? the white kids asked. Don't get sidetracked, the still small voice said. Tracy heard him in real time as his peers ogled his car. So Tracy paid them no mind, and knew there wasn't time to bask in this small glory. I am opening up opportunities for you, he repeated, such that have never been seen before. You will blow it because of lack of knowledge, but it will all come back to you later in life. Tracy came back to himself as his classmates argued over his new car, and they were bewildered at Tracy's disinterest when he left for class. From then on, Tracy knew his job was to minimize errors and take advantage of every opportunity placed before him, which included working at the steakhouse for gas money. But Tracy's first day at his first job wasn't what he expected. Donnie taught Tracy to work the potato bar with all its fixins and help with the dishes. Mark's sister Beth worked the salad bar. Not so secretly, Donnie had a crush on her. At the end of the night, Donnie thought it a good idea to throw a dinner roll at Beth as she came through the double doors. If wet, the rolls exploded like a snowball when they hit the wall. That's not a good idea. Mark said. She's a big girl, and weighs in in more ways than one. Donnie ignored him and wet a few rolls, but Mark was adamant. You shouldn't do this, Mark warned. I know my sister, and this ain't gonna end well. It was after midnight on Friday. They were all tired, and Beth came through the double doors loaded with inserts from the salad bar. She struggled with the double doors and was careful not to spill anything. Suddenly, a roll whizzed by her head, hit the wall, and burst into a blizzard of flour. Beth stopped in her tracks, Mark disappeared, and Beth saw Donnie's mouthful of braces laughing at her. Then, Beth's eyes narrowed and seemed to change color as she transformed into a kamikaze. Beth spied the steak knives to her left dropped the tray, grabbed a blade for each hand, and chased Donnie through the kitchen. "'You want to play, huh?' Beth screamed. "'Mr. Matthew!' Donnie yelled and tore into the dining room. "'Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit!' Beth followed Donnie into the girls' bathroom because it was the only one that locked. "'Get yourself out of that bathroom, you little girl!' Beth yelled and beat on the door, and then she turned nice. Can't you see I'm just playing? When Mr. Matthew arrived, Donnie unlocked the bathroom door and presented himself. 
they went back into the kitchen to survey the damage. Scared him, didn't I? Beth whispered to Tracy with a wink. Who's going to clean up this mess? Mr. Matthew asked. Donnie is, Beth decided. He's the one who threw the roll. Mark's voice came out from under the plate warmer. I told you. Hello, everyone. Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. But this sideline job didn't distract Tracy, nor did he see it as his future. Tracy took classes half-day at the technical college to study electrical engineering, which was like breathing. It was fascinating, and Tracy intuitively knew everything about his coursework. He never had anything come so naturally, and by the end of the semester he decided his final project would be a car alarm. It was 1983, and car alarms were primitive. The few that existed were key-activated and ran off the car's battery, a disarming flaw. In his design, Tracy installed motion detectors with sensors attached to the doors, hood, and hatchback. He created a circuit to disable the car battery when the alarm went off. Tracy had a separate battery to run the alarm system, along with relay switches that reset the alarm after two minutes. To accomplish this, Tracy took out the seats of his brand new impulse and ripped up the carpet to run the wires. In short, he took the car apart, installed his alarm, and rebuilt it. The fact Moody was a mechanic obviously helped, but Granny's mouth did not. Nonetheless, Tracy did it, and news of his project spread throughout the community. Tracy's teachers were amazed, and the seed was planted. Then came a misstep. There was a bridge on the way to Kanaw City infamous for drag racing and playing chicken. It had a long, high arch, and the crest was sharp, which made it impossible to see the other side in either lane. Tracy made plans to meet up with his friends who worked at a taco place, and the steakhouse gang left out when they got off work. It was raining, and they should have gone home, but the lure of fried ice cream was greater than the danger of crossing the Kanawha City Bridge when it was slick. When they crossed the crest, there was a car stalled in their lane. Tracy managed to stop before hitting it, but the eight-cylinder firebird that followed him couldn't. When Granny heard about the accident and where they were, she figured Tracy was drag racing. Moody fixed the impulse, but that was it for Granny. After Tracy's graduation, Granny told Tracy to meet her at the dealership, where she traded his impulse in for her burgundy first edition Dodge Daytona Turbo. This is my car, Granny said, 
as her matching painted burgundy fingernails caressed the hood, and that was that. Although, in the end, Granny's new car got her back a little. There was a glitch in the first edition's dashboard that only the tachometer and gas gauge worked. Three tickets later, Moody figured it out and sat Granny in her car. "'What dial are you looking at for your speed?' Moody asked. Granny pointed to the tachometer. "'I can't get this car to go over thirty. "'Oh, hell, Jackie!' Moody laughed. <laughs> "'No wonder you're passing everybody except the cops.' So Tracy's first car was gone, but the impulse's purpose wasn't to get him back and forth to work. Through God's intricate plan, it was the vehicle that got him into college. Tracy and Granny began looking the previous fall. Tracy took the SATs and didn't do so well. He applied to colleges, but was turned down because of his scores. By January... Tracy prepared to retake his SATs, but he got a letter. Tracy had kept up with his college prep courses and worked out three times a week with Ron. There he was reunited with Jean from junior high. Now that the two worked out so often at Ron's studio, their friendship grew and they began dating. Unknown to Tracy, Jean's father was the fundraising executive for Union Carbide. The corporation not only sent Tracy to the Washington Congressional Seminar, they also awarded scholarships to colleges. One was NC State, and Jean knew about Tracy's famous car alarm. Before Granny had a chance to trade the impulse in for her Daytona Turbo, Jean arranged for Tracy to do a demonstration for her father. Tracy's invention worked brilliantly, However, Jean's father only said he wasn't sure. Then, as Tracy prepared to retake his SATs, he received an acceptance letter to NC State's electrical engineering program without applying to the school. Vera wanted to visit the campus immediately, but Granny wanted to wait until the weather broke. So during spring break, Tracy, Jean, and Granny headed to D.C. to pick up Vera. It was almost summer across the campus in North Carolina, but Granny and Vera were nervous. NC State was in the heart of tobacco country, and not the most welcoming place for folks of color. Then, as they approached the library, they smelled it, and the aroma held them captive. "'What is that?' Vera asked. "'That's Magnolia,' Granny said. "'Where is it coming from?' Vera asked. "'There,' Jean said, and pointed to a tree as wide as it was high. Its deep green leaves held brilliant white blooms as big as plates up to the sun. Tracy was transfixed. He remembered the smell from the picture book when he sat on his lap when he was three. Tracy remembered the warmth the expanse of the brickyard before them, and the sight of the library. But the smell was his confirmation. Tracy relived the sweetness of the scent programmed in his memory when he saw in reality what he was shown as a tiny child. This is where I'm supposed to go to school, Tracy stated. 
Vera looked at her son and recognized the expression she had seen so many times before. Ever since Tracy came home from the hospital, when her toddler stood at the glass storm door and asked his imaginary friend what he was here for, Vera knew that look. Granny looked at Tracy and saw it too, but God wasn't done yet. When they got home, Tracy got another letter from Inroads, a local teaching organization for black youth. They invited select college prep students for extra classes every Saturday, which were taught by previous Inroads students. With curriculums in calculus, chemistry, and physics, there was a high school, college, and graduate group that networked together. Tracy always wanted to be chosen, but wasn't invited until he was accepted to NC State. There was just one caveat. Tracy needed to secure an internship with a corporate sponsor. Tracy kept walking. DuPont was up the river from Granny's house, and Tracy found out DuPont sponsored internships for college students. But DuPont was looking for chemical engineers, so Tracy kept walking. Tracy moved on to IBM, interviewed with several different teams of people, and then forgot about it. Meanwhile, Tracy worked at the steakhouse, trained in Kung Fu with Ron, and prepared for NC State. Before he knew it, Tracy took Jean to the prom. The next week, the seniors practiced for graduation, and Vera and Bobby came to town. Because of the occasion, Moody allowed Bobby in his house. Shortly after they arrived, Bobby was on his third whiskey, and Moody was too past his medicinal shots of shine to keep the peace. Moody also remained in the adjacent bedroom with the door open and kept his gun loaded. Late in the afternoon, Granny realized she had forgotten to get the mail. When she came back, Granny handed Tracy a clean white envelope. You got something here, Granny said. Tracy opened the letter. Without so much as a phone call or follow-up interview, IBM offered Tracy a high-paying internship for the summer. The offer included working for IBM for the same salary during his college breaks in order to groom Tracy for a permanent position. They expected Tracy to report for work the Monday after his graduation. "'What's that, honey?' Vera asked. "'I have an internship with IBM,' Tracy said. That's wonderful, Vera said. Will it take up a lot of your time? It's a full-time job, Mom, Tracy said. And they want me to start Monday. What are you going to do about your job at the steakhouse? Vera asked, and Bobby chimed in. You might want to keep that job in your back pocket in case anything happens. That was it for Tracy. All the years of Bobby beating him for no reason abusing his mother, and degrading him were over. Tracy stood up. And you said I wasn't going to amount to anything. And Tracy pointed his finger at Bobby. Not going to amount to anything, Tracy repeated, and held the letter up. Before I'm out of high school, I've got a company job, I'm making more money than you are now, and I'm going to one of the top engineering schools in the fall.
Tracy! Vera exclaimed. Let the man talk! Moody shouted from the bedroom. Tracy stood a moment to let the truth settle. That's all I've got to say. Tracy said and sat down, because suddenly he saw it. God had brought it all back together. Tracy had a salaried job, a future in college, and he had nothing to do with any of it but to walk. Then he reminded Tracy what he stated the previous summer as Tracy rode the subway. I am opening up opportunities for you, he said, such that have never been seen before. Tracy realized he would never have to deal with Bobby again unless he chose to do so. Tracy also recognized what God had orchestrated over the past two years. The previous summer, Tracy had spent a week with his father, where Tracy gained a better understanding of his father and his own identity. That experience, combined with what his heavenly father had just proved, made Tracy a different person. As it turned out, Tracy was just getting started with his transition to adulthood, and his idea of family and identity was about to expand farther than he imagined. This completes Dual Citizen, The Connection, written by Tracy Staples Wilson and Bob Zuber, narrated by the authors. I hope you enjoyed the first part of my journey. In the second book of the trilogy, Dual Citizen, The Training, the tall, shiny silver figure becomes an integral part of Tracy's education and work life. Tracy also realizes more of himself and who God made him to be. Then, Tracy experiences unmerited favor in his work life, and, through tragedy, Tracy is tested. Led by his specific instruction, Tracy also experiences visions to cope with what this world throws at him. In Dual Citizen, The Training, Tracy's life is radically changed, ultimately taking him around the world before he must return to learn of his father's bloodline. So I hope you'll continue with me on my journey. And, and we, we will talk, talk to you soon in Dual Citizen, Citizen The Training. training.